0: But the whole idea of this series is that in our desire, in our pursuit of living for Christ, we have to be single-minded. There has to be something inside of us through the Holy Spirit that says... I will not turn back from following Jesus, no matter where he leads, no matter what happens, no matter the struggles I face, the difficulties I have to endure, regardless of uh, the hardships that come my way, because we all have those things. We all face those things, and at some point we have to say, I am going to follow Jesus, period. So if you have your Bibles, I wanna read a verse uh, that records something that Jesus himself said. It's actually recorded in two of the four biographies of his life, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I want to read the one that's recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is speaking, and this is what it says. It says, Jesus said to them, if anyone wants to come with me, they must give up the things they want, pick up their cross every day, and follow me. Give up the things they want. Who here wants to follow Jesus? Not a trick question. Who here is a follower of Jesus? Who here gives up the things they want? All right, good. with your hand's up, keep it up. Ushers, we're gonna receive a second offering. (laughs) No, here's the deal, right? We know that God has called us to follow Jesus. We don't. He doesn't force us to. He says, this is a, the best way to live. This is the best possible way to live. If you'll follow me, Jesus said, if you wanna come after me, I'm gonna lead you on this great adventure in life. I'm gonna bring you and, and walk with you through all the twists and turns, ups and downs. If you'll follow me, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. I have a, a, a great destiny for you. But it's gonna cost you. It's not just follow me, it's... Give up all the things that you want, all the things that you hold dear. Every day, you have to be willing to say, I'm going to lay down my life in my pursuit of Jesus. And why does Jesus say this? Because he knows something that most of us already know. We just don't always think about it in these terms. But what Jesus is getting at is this, that whatever you're not willing to let go of, you will eventually turn back for Jesus, I'll follow you, but I want to hold on to this. But when he gets to a point where he says, where I'm going, you can't bring this with you, then all of a sudden you have to make that choice. Am I willing to let this thing go? If I'm not willing to let this thing go, then I can't follow you. So Jesus says, you have to be willing to let all those things, all the things that you want, all the things that matter, all the things that you think are the most important thing, person, event, uh, identity, all those things that you say, I can't live without this. Jesus says, at some point, you have to make a choice. Will you let those things go and follow me or not? That's the only way that you can come after me and follow me without turning to the left or right, without turning back. You have to give up some things. So to look at this idea that uh, in order to not turn back, we have to be willing to hold nothing back. I wanna look at the story of a father and a son and a sacrifice that the father was asked to make. So we're gonna look at a story in the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, Genesis chapter 22. And then in a little bit, we're gonna turn to the book of Hebrews. Um, so, if you have your Bibles, you could turn there. If not, don't worry. We're going to have the verses up on the screen, but I want to read a, a, fa- a rather lengthy passage from Genesis chapter 22. I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to read most of it, and we'll skip a few verses as we go. It says this After these things, what things? The story that was just told about Abraham, how he got to this point in his life. It had been a 25 year journey or actually probably longer than that at this point. It's probably closer to about a a 40 or 50-year journey that got him to this point, from God calling him from the land of Canaan to a place and a people that he did not know, that he said, I wanna be your God, and if you'll follow me, I have a great uh, adventure for you. And so it's been all these decades that Abraham's been following. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. Early in the morning, Abraham split the wood for the offering and set out. So God says, this is what I want you to do. So he says, all right, I'll do it. So he gets up, splits some wood, loads it up on a donkey, gets some servants, takes his son, and off they go. On the third day, Abraham looked and saw the place in the distance. So he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there and worship and then we'll come back. Everyone say, we'll come back. Yes. Did Abraham know what Isaac asked him? or Did Abraham know what God asked him? Yes, go sacrifice your son Isaac. But Abraham says, we'll, not I'll come back, we'll come back. He has this belief that somehow God's gonna do something, but but he doesn't know what God's gonna do. We'll come back. So Abraham took the wood and laid it on Isaac. Now that doesn't mean he buried him in the wood. Uh, he, it means that Isaac probably had some kind of sack or something with straps on it that he would put on his back. And then Abraham loaded all the chopped wood into that sack. It was probably very heavy. Uh, it was a big burden to carry. And so Abraham, who is now an old man, and he's probably about 125, 130 years old, says, Boy, you can carry this wood. <laughs> I'm going to take this. And he takes the knife and he takes the fire. And off they go. So uh, Abraham himself carried the knife and the fire, and the two of them went on their way. Then Isaac spoke to his father and asked, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the offering? Abraham answered, God will provide the lamb. When they arrived at the place God told them about, Abraham built the altar and arranged the wood. And we talked earlier in the series about building altars. So here's Abraham, he builds this altar, he lays all the wood on it. And then it says, he bound his son and placed him on the altar. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called him and said, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld. Everyone say not withheld. You you didn't even hold back your son from me. And then it says, Abraham took, look, So Abraham looked and saw a ram caught in the thicket. He took the ram and offered it in the place of his son. Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So to this day, it is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. The angel called to Abraham a second time and said, this is the Lord's declaration. Because you have not withheld your son, I will bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. And through them, all the nations of the earth will be blessed." Abraham reaches out his hand, fully prepared to do what God asks. It's then and only then, at the moment when Abraham is about to act, that God intervenes. This story can cause us a lot of angst. I mean, this is a hard story to read. It's a little easier to stomach because if you've read it before, you know how it ends but Abraham had no idea how it was gonna end. He was living this. He didn't read the Bible and then live the Bible. He was walking this out and there his son is and he reaches out and he says, I'll do this. And then God intervenes and God says, you don't have to. God says, there's a different option. What we can't do and what we shouldn't do is read this story backwards. And that's kind of our tendency. We know how it ends, so we say Abraham never actually intended to make the sacrifice. He knew he wasn't gonna have to. He knew it was only a test. Abraham knew none of that. What he had was faith and trust. Somehow God will provide. Somehow God will make a way. Somehow we'll come back, but I don't know how. I just know that God has called us and I am faithful to follow him. I will not turn back from following him. All these years ago, God and I made a covenant commitment. and I will not turn back from that commitment. Now, reading this story can also cause us some, um, to ask some questions, to have some issues, especially in regards to the character and nature of God. All right, we say God's a loving God. Well, what kind of loving God demands a human sacrifice? Especially a sacrifice of a child, I mean, is God so insecure? Is God such an egomaniac that he sits on his throne and he demands worship and obedience? And if you don't do it, but that's failing to comprehend the story. God didn't demand anything. Abraham could have refused. Abraham could have said, no. Abraham could have said, I don't wanna do this. God didn't demand that Abraham act or react in a certain way. God just asked Abraham, to do this. God didn't force Abraham to act, he asked him to obey. Obedience, listen to me, obedience isn't mindlessly following a dictate. If you think that's what obedience is, you don't understand. There's been so many atrocities in war because people have just, I'm just obeying the orders. Obedience is willingly, it's asking questions, it's, it's, it's diving into things, it's understanding, it's making sure that what has been asked has been considered from every possible angle and then willingly say, I'll follow this, I will do this, because I have to. Abraham was fully convinced if he held nothing back from God, God would hold nothing back from him. We have to get to that place. That's what obedience looks like. Beyond that, we fail to understand Isaac wasn't some victim in this. He wasn't a baby. He wasn't a toddler. He wasn't six, seven, eight years old. He was a grown adult. Most theologians will tell you at the youngest, he was 15. He was probably closer to 25 or 30 years old. So Abraham tells Isaac, we're going on this journey and God's asked me to give you up. And so, as they're walking, right, they're walking for three days. During those three days, I guarantee you, Abraham is having some discussions with the Lord. Are you sure this is what you want? Isn't there something else I can sacrifice? Isn't there something else I can give? I have followed you for all these years. Isn't there something else that I can do? Isn't there another way? Isn't there another option? And some people say, well, if you argue, if you ask questions, if you, if you uh, look for a different uh, opportunity or, or a different way to proceed, then you're not walking in obedience. I disagree. I disagree completely because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the, day, the next day he's gonna give his life up and be crucified on the cross. He goes to a garden, he falls on his knees and he says, Father, I know we talked about this before the foundation of the earth. I mean, I'm God in the flesh, but I'm also human. And so from the human perspective, he says, God, if there's any other way, Father, if there's any other option, is there? Any, can we talk about this? If there's any other way that we can proceed, let's talk about it. But if not, then I will be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Abraham, for three days, is having all these discussions. And as they're walking, he's telling Isaac, now God's asked me to give you up to, to sacrifice you. And at first, Isaac's like, Uh, dad I don't know exactly what you mean Um, but if you're saying that he's going to sacrifice me like dying and like is there a lamb where's the lamb there should be a lamb here and he says there is no lamb you're the lamb and in essence this is what Isaac is saying if this is what the almighty requires I'm willing to lay down my life But he wasn't forced to any more than Abraham was forced to. We have to get to the point where we say, I'm not gonna hold on to these things because they're so valuable to me. I'm gonna lay them down. I'm gonna surrender them. I'm gonna let them go because I know that anything I hold on to, anything that I say is more important to me than following Jesus will eventually cause me to turn away from following Jesus because he's asking too much. So what I wanna do is pick up uh, how the writer of Hebrews breaks down this story because they, they know this story and, and then they kind of explain it in detail. And so I wanna look at three verses in Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 17, 18, and 19. We're gonna look at them one at a time and look at some uh, insights into what holding nothing back does for us, how it helps us, how it empowers us, how it strengthens us. Here's the first one. It's uh, Hebrews eleven seventeen. 17. It says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Now, there's a lot there. And so I just wanna take a moment and look at this. But what it's telling us, what the, the, the truth is, what, the, what it's revealing about holding nothing back is this, that holding nothing back helps you make it through trials. We know that this was a test. We know this was a trial. Abraham didn't know it. He knew that God asked him to do this. And he was fully prepared to surrender his son, to sacrifice his son. Now it says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son whom you love. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know that Isaac isn't. Abraham's only son. He has another son named Ishmael. And if you read the story, you can read the chapters uh, preceding this. Abraham loves Ishmael. As a matter of fact, he said, God, why can't the promise be through Ishmael? He loved him. Why does it say it's his only son whom he loved if he had another son? Well, there's a few reasons. One is because at this point in time, Ishmael is married. Isaac is not and the Bible tells us, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, cleave, be joined to his wife, and the two will become one. Ishmael had stepped out from his father's house. For this reason, a man, he was no longer a son in one sense, he'll always be a son, but he was no longer that under that sonship, under his father's authority, now stepped out and created his own family. While at this point, Isaac's not married. So he's still living in his father's home. Beyond that, Isaac is the son of promise. God promised Abraham a son through his wife, Sarah. For 25 years, they waited. For 25 years, they wondered, until he was 100 years old and she was not far behind. And she gives birth to a son, the son of promise. So it's not his only son, but it's the only son born to you by Sarah who's carrying this promise, and you love him. You love him deeply. Why is God saying that? Because he wants Abraham to know that he understands, that God himself understands the importance, the weightiness, the the, the gravity of what he's asking. Because God understands, Abraham, this is the greatest trial you'll ever face. And Abraham faced some trials. I mean, he went to war, he, he fought battles. But, but God says, this is it, this is the moment. And so in that moment, when God says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, this child of promise through whom the covenant will be carried, I want you to sacrifice him. Abraham has one of two choices. He can either follow or turn back. He can either do what God asked or he could turn back. He could either say, Isaac matters too much to me for me to follow you. Or he can say, I will lay this down. I will surrender it. Anyone wants to come after me, Jesus said, they have to give up the things they want. And Abraham, his faith and his trust and his belief shines through. And God says, you're the man of faith because you did that. But you and I will face that same decision countless times in our lives. When God will say now, are you willing to sacrifice this? In the moment of stress, in the moment of trial, in the moment of anguish, when everything seems impossible and you say, I don't know if I can give this up, God's gonna say, I'm asking you. Will you give this up? Will you surrender this? Will you lay this down? And you and I have a choice. I'll lay it down and follow or I'll turn back but there's no other option. You're gonna face those trials and God's gonna say that person in your life, that relationship, I'm asking you to surrender it. That reputation that you have, that position that you have, your marriage, will you lay it down? You say, does that mean I'm supposed to get divorced? No, it means that you can't say what my wife wants, what my husband wants is more important than what God wants because at some point they'll ask you to violate something that's in the Bible, and then you'll have to decide, will I pursue God, or will I live to please my husband or my wife, or my children, or the business that I've built, or my finances, or my house, or my reputation? Are you willing to lay down that lifestyle, your preferences, the things you like to do, are you willing to lay down that drink that you wanna take? Are you willing to lay down the pain from the past that, I, that it has become your identity? This is who I am because this is what I've been through. Are you willing to lay down being a victim, saying, oh, my life, nobody understands because look what I've been through. Are you willing to lay those things down And it is gut-wrenching and it is hard because everything in you says, this is what I am, this is what I do, this is what matters the most to me. Listen, at first service, I'm on my knees afterward and I'm praying and I realize God, it was like a light. God said, are you willing to give up? I can fix anything. Listen to me. My wife will tell you, I don't know how he can do it. He can fix anything. And I realize there's things I just can't fix. I have to say, God, I, okay. If I can't fix it, you can. But it's hard. It's easy to say, I'll give it up. God, I'll follow you. I'll give up all the things that I want. And then he says, will you give that up? And that's the moment of decision. But in that moment, when we say, I surrender this, all of a sudden, God says, now. Now. You can follow me and nothing will hold you back. Hebrews goes on and says this, though God had told Abraham that Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. So I mentioned this earlier. Isaac was the son of promise. The covenant promise that God made to Abraham, God told Abraham it will continue through Isaac. So what does this tell us? It tells us that holding nothing back demonstrates your trust. See, beyond the anguish of Abraham having to sacrifice, surrender to offer up his own son. There's something else at play. And this is incredibly important. It's that Abraham is looking and he's saying, the promise and the ask. What you promised me all those years ago and what you're asking me to do now seem to be in contradiction. See, God, if I offer Isaac, then the promise is over. I mean, if if Isaac's dead, the promise is, is done. But if I don't follow you, then I violate the covenant commitment that we made. And he... And it could easily feel like you're at this impasse, like there's nothing I can do, but that's when trust and faith shine the brightest. Because in essence, what Abraham said is, I don't know how these two things can exist at the same time. I just know that the God who called me, the, the, the Lord who is guiding me, my um, true north, who's led me all these years, is faithful. And if he's asked me to do this, then he'll make a way where there seems to be no way. I don't know how, but I know who. And that is the essence of trust. Trust trust does not concern itself with how it anchors itself to who. I don't know how this can happen, but I know who has asked me. And if he has asked me, he is faithful. He can do the impossible. He is trustworthy and I will anchor my trust to him. If Abraham for those three days started saying, I don't see it, I don't know how, God, this is not gonna work. I think, you know, after three days, uh, haven't I demonstrated a willingness enough? I'm turning back because I don't see how you can make this work. Abraham says, I don't know, God will provide a lamb, but somehow or other, the boy and I will come back. I don't know how he's gonna do it, but I know who called me to do it. And for you and for me, we're gonna have those moments where we look and say, it doesn't make sense. God promised me that he would multiply the businesses that he's given me and that I would be successful and I would have resources in order to bless other people. And now he's telling me to sell my businesses and I don't get it. I don't know how he can keep the promise he made if I don't have the stuff that he's given me. But God said, be faithful. He said, I've worked my whole life for my retirement. And I've built up all these investments. And now God's saying, fund the kingdom with that money. And that doesn't make sense to me because then how can I enjoy my retirement? And at some point you say, okay, God, I don't know how you can do it, but I know who you are and you're faithful And so sometimes in life, all we're responsible to do is take the next step and the next step and the next step. God says, go, and so you go. God says, stop, and so you stop. God says, stay, and so you stay. God says, give, and so you're generous, and you're gonna give your best because I don't wanna hold anything back because anything I hold back will cause me eventually to turn back. But at some point, we have to realize, right? What did it say? It said in in the first verse of, of, of Hebrews that we read, 11, 17. it said, Isaac, or Abraham offered Isaac. Well, he didn't offer him. He didn't slay him, but in all intents and purposes, laying him on that altar, in his heart, he said, it's done. It's, it's done. I don't know what is gonna happen next, but I know who has asked me to do this, and I trust him. And then in that moment, something amazing happened. So in verse 19 in Hebrews, it says this, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life. So what does that mean? When we hold nothing back, it makes place, it gives opportunity, it allows for supernatural triumph. It makes the the space for a miracle. Abraham said, I don't know how, but somehow, because I know who has called me as faithful. I don't know if he's gonna provide a lamb. I don't know if he's gonna do a resurrection. I don't know what he's gonna do, but I know he's gonna do something. So Abraham makes place for a miracle. And in this case, the miracle wasn't a resurrection. It was a lamb to take the place. It was a substitution. But Abraham was fully convinced. He had the faith and the trust in the who the who to say, you can do the impossible. And so often we limit what God can do in a moment because we don't allow for that supernatural move. We make every excuse in the book why we can't let it go. And God says, right. And the miracle that you would have seen on the other side, you'll never see it. So at some point we have to say, okay, God, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna allow for this supernatural moment. See, Isaac didn't literally die. He figuratively died. He didn't literally rise from the dead, but he figuratively did. Abraham, for all intents and purposes, said, my son's dead. I've given him up. I've offered him. And now he's back. It's a miracle. It's the story of the prodigal son, right? The father uh, sees the young son come back and, and he'd been out in the streets and nobody knew where he was. And the father says, my son who was dead is now alive. But the son wasn't dead, but he was dead because he could have been dead. He was, nobody knew. He was just out on his own and his life was out of control. And the father said he was as good as dead to me and I didn't know if I'd ever see him again. And Abraham says, my son is laying there on this altar and I don't know if this is the last breath he'll breathe and the last beat of his heart. And then he's restored to him and he says, it's a miracle. My son who is dead is alive. My son has been brought back to me. I didn't know how, but I know who. And he did something amazing. We need to get to that point. Beyond that, this is a story that is a shadow, a foreshadowing of what God was going to do on the cross with Jesus. Here's what's amazing. Now, this is uh, Abraham's story. Happens about two thousand years before Jesus, so about four thousand years ago, our time. But about a thousand years after Abraham, there's a king who shows up as the king of Israel. His name is David. Now, David. When he's the king of Israel, there's a city that he subdues, he takes, he captures, he conquers. It becomes the capital of Israel. It was called Jebus. Now it became known as Jerusalem. And the city of Jerusalem, if you study that geography and the topography in that area, the city of Jerusalem was in a region called Moriah, in the mountains. It's the same area, the same mountainous area, the highest peak in the area where Abraham went and sacrificed Isaac or was willing to sacrifice Isaac, the same area, the same place. And so a thousand years later, here's David and David has it in his heart to build a temple. And so he gets everything prepared for his son Solomon to build a temple when he leaves, when he dies. And as soon as David dies, Solomon begins to build that temple on the very same spot where Abraham sacrificed Isaac. And then a thousand years after that, in that same area, Jesus is sacrificed on a cross. God says, this is an example of what I'm going to do. See, in Abraham, what you see is what a man will do who loves God, a man's love for God. In Jesus, we see God's love for man. In Abraham, we see a man who's willing to sacrifice his son and God provides a substitution. In Jesus, we see God sacrificing his own son as a substitution for your sins and for mine. In Abraham, we see someone who says, I will give my best to God. And in Jesus, we see God saying, I'll give my best for man. Isaac carries the wood. That he's going to be sacrificed on. Jesus carries the cross that he dies on. Isaac is bound and laid on the altar. Jesus is nailed to the cross and crucified. Isaac said, I'll willingly lay down my life. Jesus willingly lays down his life. In Isaac, we see a type of resurrection, although he is not physically dead in Jesus, we see a resurrection after he has been dead for three days. It's, it's God saying, listen, if you walk in obedience, if you'll do the things I ask, if you'll let go of those things, if you'll lay them down, you will create the environment and the moment and the opportunity for something supernatural to happen but you have to be like Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. You have to be like Isaac who says, if this is what the Almighty asks, I'll do it. You have to be like Abraham who says, I will hold nothing back from you. So many times we miss the miracle moment because we hold on to those things that we say this is too important to let go. But after Abraham passes this test, after Abraham adores this trial, after Abraham stands there, knife in hand, ready to give the ultimate sacrifice, what does God say about Abraham two different times that we read in Genesis 22? Here it is. He said, you did not hold back your son, your only son from me. You held nothing back. Now, here's the deal. Holding nothing back, that idea, right? I mean, it's, it's an idea. It's an easy idea to understand. It's A lot harder to walk out. Holding nothing back is simple to understand, but it takes a lifetime to learn. Because everything in us says, God wouldn't ask that of me. You need to ask it of them. I, here's the thing. It's real easy for you to look at somebody else and say, you need to give this up. What makes me a good counselor? I could point out everything and everybody else. It's what makes me a bad patient. Um, no. Right, we can we it's easy to see and so why don't you surrender that? Why don't you just let it go? Why don't you sacrifice this? Well, that's holding you back. It's a lot harder when God says, whoa, 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 that's true. But what about you? Well, this is important. I can't let this go. This matters too much. So it's it's like this, and this is the irony, right? None of us Come into this world with anything. We're born with nothing, and then what do we do? As we grow and mature, we turn to God and we ask Him for stuff good stuff. And out of His goodness and His kindness, He gives us stuff. We want a friend. We want a marriage. We want children. We want a house. We want a career. We want money. We want a car. We want meaning. We want purpose. We want understanding. We want an identity. We want fellowship. We want a place of belonging. Nothing wrong with any of those things. And God in his kindness gives those to us. And so then our life is full and our hands are full and everything is good. And then God who says, I love you and I want greater intimacy with you. I want greater fellowship and deeper communion and and relationship with you, reaches out his hand and says, take my hand and walk with me, follow me. I'm gonna lead you on this great adventure. And we say, but God, my hands are full. Look at all the stuff I've got. And he says, I, I know. I gave it to you. Why don't you just put some of it down? No, no, it's too important. Why would you ask me to lay this down? That's too hard. It's too, you're asking too much. And he says, I'm not trying to ask you for so much. I want more for you. But I can't give you more if you won't lay down what you have. We say, I won't do it. And God says, that's fine. I won't make you. But if you're not willing, you can't follow me. And that's the rub. Because so many of us will convince ourselves that we're following Jesus, but we won't say, if I'm gonna follow Jesus, I have to lay down the things that I want. And you can tell yourself And you can convince yourself and you can read a lot of Bible verses and you can come to church and you can give and you can serve and you can sing and you can pray and you can do all those things. But if you're not willing to sacrifice those things that you hold most dear, then you are not following Jesus. I didn't make it up, he did. I'm just a bearer of good news. But here's the good news. The reason he asks us to is because he wants something more for us. See, there's good things that he gives us. There's great things that he gives us. Marriage, friends. Gives us passions and convictions. He gives us things that we're just, you know, man, this is it. This is my purpose in life. Gives us the ability to build a home and to build a business and to build a life and to invest in resources and to have financial wherewithal and to, and to have a life of influence and build a reputation and have meaningful friendships. And he gives us all those things. But he says, don't ever let those things be more important than me because anything that's more important to me in your life eventually becomes an idol. And so what we have to learn to do is to hold loosely the things we value greatly. The things that matter the most to you, you have to say, I'm not gonna clutch it to my chest and say, mine, mine. God, this is yours. And if you ask for it, I'll give it. And here's the reason why. Because there's nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with finances. There's nothing wrong with a great life. There's nothing wrong with a home. There's nothing wrong with a business. There's nothing wrong with children. There's nothing wrong with a marriage. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But if we won't let them go, if we won't sacrifice them, if we won't offer them to God, then eventually they'll cause us to turn back. And it's God's kindness that asks us to sacrifice. It's God's kindness that says, will you offer this? It's God's kindness that says, will you lay this down? You say, it doesn't feel like kindness at the time. I mean, sacrifice my son, say no to this, give up this, surrender that. That doesn't feel like kindness, right, because we're clutching to it with white knuckles. And it doesn't feel kind because it feels like God's just prying our fingers off. But he's not prying our fingers off. You ever like done that where you just squeeze your hand for so long and and then try and open it and you're like, "I, I can't? It's not God trying to pry your fingers off. It's you have gotten so intent on holding on to that thing that your hand has become locked around it. Why is it God's kindness? Because God knows what's on the other side of sacrifice. You just don't know it. Abraham, will you surrender your son? Will you sacrifice your son? Now, because you held nothing back from me, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. And through your descendants, all nations of the earth will be blessed. On the other side of sacrifice, on the other side of surrender, on the other side of offering, what we can't see is that God has something better. So from Abraham and his descendants eventually comes Jesus, the Christ, Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, the savior of the world. We're here today because of Abraham's obedience way back then, some 4,000 years ago. But if you're not willing to sacrifice, if you're not willing to surrender, if you're not willing to believe that God has something better on the other side of the offering, you'll never see it. So what does this all mean? It means this, when you hold nothing back, you will never turn back from following Jesus. When you get to the point where you say, I'm not holding anything back any longer, you'll never turn back from following Jesus because there's nothing to entice you back. Everything you have, everything that's dear to you, everything that's most important, you say, it pales in comparison to knowing God more. Whatever he has for me, I want it, but I can't receive more of what God has for me if all I'll do is hold on to what I already have. But when we lay it down and we surrender it, You say, God, I don't know. I don't understand. He says, I've got something better. But she's so cute. I don't know what my life would be like without her. And he gets me. And my identity is so wrapped up in being a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, a pastor, a business owner. But this is what I want to do but I've gone through all these things and I won't let it go because if I let it go then what happens to me and Jesus says what happens to you is that you're gonna find yourself following me on an amazing adventure in life it's gonna lead you somewhere you never imagined and it's gonna be better than anything you could create on your own but at some point you have to say if I want all that I have to leave all this if you want to come after me you have to give up the things you want Take up your cross every day and follow me. But I'm telling you, if you'll do it, if you'll say to yourself right now, what's my Isaac? What's that thing that is so dear and precious to me that I'm not willing to let go of? And if you'll surrender it, you'll find yourself walking in greater and greater amounts of God's presence, his His favor in your life his blessing in your life, his leading and guiding in your life, the Holy Spirit directing you. And you'll get to the point where you'll trust him so much that you'll never, ever, ever turn back. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. And God, I ask by your Holy Spirit, would you begin to nudge us right now? Some of us already know what's that Isaac? What's that thing? What's that person? What's that reputation? What's that attitude? What's that lifestyle? What's that thing that I am unwilling to surrender? God's never gonna pry your fingers off of it. But he'll ask you time after time after time. He'll lead you season after season after season back to the mountain in Moriah. And he'll say, there's an altar here. Are you you ready and willing to offer it up? And time and time again, you'll have that choice to make. I will. I'll do it. I'll trust you. Even if I don't understand why, I'll trust you so that I can make a place for a supernatural triumph that I didn't even imagine. And so that what you'll find on the other side of sacrifice and surrender is something far, far better than what you have now. God, I'm asking that you would show us those things. Right now, right where you are with every eye closed, every head bowed, if there's that thing in your life, that Isaac, that, that one area, or maybe multiple areas, you know what they are, that you're not willing to surrender, but you want to. And you know this is that moment to begin that process, walking that journey and taking that thing, placing it on that altar. It's right where you are, just raise your hand. I just wanna pray for you. God, I pray for every hand that's raised, that it's not just going through the motions. It's not just, I'll raise my hand because I feel some emotion. God, that this would be an act of surrender. But God, this is an everyday reality. Take up our cross every day. Give up the things we want every day. It's easy to do it right now in the five minutes we're sitting at church. But God, what about this afternoon? What about this evening? What about tomorrow? What about when days are tough and stressful, marriage is difficult and kids are aggravating and finances are tight? God, are we willing to surrender then? So God, pour this like concrete into our spirits Reinforce it by your Holy Spirit, God, that we would be a people that would lay down those things that we would sacrifice because you always, always, always have something better for us. I'm just going to ask if all of you would stand to your feet. We're going to just sing a few more songs that celebrate who God is. Talk about no turning back, that we're going to pursue God with everything in us. And I'm just going to open up the altars. You can come, get on your knees, pray, cry out to God. There'll be prayer teams if you'd like prayer, but if you just want to get on your knees and pray, then you can do that. But let's mean these words of these songs here today. That nothing, nothing will ever cause me to turn back from Jesus.